So Romans chapter 1 verse 16. I'm going to just simply preach on the same text that Brother Buddy preached last, last uh, Sunday morning. Not to take away from his message. I believe it was a very good message. It was encouraging in Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Uh, but to continue on this thought, to encourage you. Uh, not to be ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a world today that makes us feel, like Buddy said last week, that we have bad news. We don't have bad news. It is good news. It seems bad to those that do not want to receive it. It seems bad to those that do not want to accept it. It seems bad to those that do not want to repent. It seems bad to those that do not want to come into the light. Because they love darkness more than the light. It seems bad, but it's not bad. As a matter of fact, to those that receive it and to those that hear it, it's like music to their ears that, because they love it. They love the truth. They love uh, what it presents and, and, and what Christ offers. And so I just want to labor on this point. Uh, not to, again, not to take away from Buddy's message only, but to continue to encourage you in this area that you would not be ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You would not be ashamed. And so, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul speaking, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to anyone that believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now this verse, we see clearly a man that is testifying of the fact that he's not ashamed of the gospel he's not ashamed of what he preaches why did the apostle paul feel the necessity to actually even pen down these words why did he have to say that i'm not ashamed of the gospel of christ why did he feel compelled to tell the rome the church at rome that he wasn't ashamed of the gospel i mean the response and reaction to the gospel is the reason why he said this because he understood the fact that every time he preached the gospel, the gospel wasn't uh, you know, received uh, readily. It wasn't popular. It wasn't accepted. The minority would receive it, but ma the majority will reject it. That's what Jesus said, didn't he? He prophesied in the Sermon on the Mount that wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. And narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few there be that find it. So we understand that the gospel is not popular. There's a lot of resistance to the gospel. Even though it's good news, there's resistance. And so we see and understand that the gospel is rejected, despised. The majority of the world despises the gospel and the minority receives it. And so therefore, it's no surprise that the Apostle Paul got opposition after opposition after opposition when he would preach the gospel. You read the book of Acts and you'll see opposition after opposition. You read the Gospels in the life of Jesus Christ. He would see opposition after opposition after opposition. It almost makes a man feel when he goes home thinking, am I doing something wrong here? Do I, do I need to find another news to tell? Do I have to fight for another cause? You know, the Apostle Paul said, I fought a good fight. Why do you think he fought while he was preaching the Gospel? Because there was always resistance coming to him by those that opposed Paul, his preaching, and also the gospel. It happened to Christ, it happened to the apostles, and by the way, it happened to the prophets. 
Jesus said, blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But he also said this, hey, but they persecuted the prophets before you. And so we understand that the message in the Old Testament was the same message in the New Testament. And you say, what's that? Repent. Turn to God. God always gave hope to those uh, that were lost in the Old Testament. It was always by faith, receiving Christ or uh, God. And by the way, the prophets pointed to Christ. And we'll see that in a moment. But I, I guess, why do people resist or reject the gospel? Well, number one in our text, because they don't love God. Look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were what? Thankful. But became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were what? Darkened. So we understand that even though they knew God, they glorified him as not, uh, not God and they weren't thankful. Verse 28, even, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. So they didn't want to think about God, they would meditate upon God. God wasn't even in their thoughts. They didn't care about God, they loved God, they loved themselves more than they did God. That's second, look at verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a what? Lie. And worshipped and served the creature more than who? The creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So these are people that would worship self or the created things more than the creator. Thirdly, we see that they love sin more than God. That's why they don't want to come to the gospel. Have a look at verse 29 to 32. Being filled with unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So these are people that are not just taken by sin and a slave to sin. When they're confronted by the truth and the gospel, they realize uh, uh, what they must do, but they just love their sin more than the Savior. The majority of people that reject the gospel are those that love their sin more than the Savior. However, in the midst of such rejection of God, Paul knew that the only hope that people had was the gospel. Amen? It's the gospel. I mean, at the end of the day, we cannot stop preaching or sharing or going out and uh, proclaiming the gospel because we get the vast majority rejecting it. We cannot. <clears throat> but Paul was not ashamed of the gospel when he gave, and he gave several reasons why he wasn't ashamed in this verse. I believe... Uh, we'll touch on four. First of all, I believe the Apostle Paul was not ashamed because of the person of the gospel. The message, the gospel didn't derive from the Roman government. It didn't come from human invention. It wasn't really Paul's gospel. Paul's gospel was received by God. Listen, God is the author of salvation. God is the author of the gospel. For God so loved the world that starts with God. As a matter of fact, everything starts with God. This world started with God. In the beginning, God. Okay, so the person of the gospel. This is why the Apostle Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel because of the person of the gospel, and that was from God. Hey, listen, our message and our mandate comes from God Himself. 
That's where our authority came. Now, when Jesus uh, simply gave his disciples in Matthew chapter 28 authority, he says, all authority or all power is given unto me. Go. Right there. He was received authority and power from God and the mandate was given and the mandate was clear. That's why the apostle Paul knew and understood there on the road to Damascus that he didn't receive just any marching orders from any man. He said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And he understand that he was serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is why he wasn't ashamed. Listen, the gospel that we have comes from God. From God Almighty. I'm not ashamed of that. And listen, let me say this to you. To be ashamed of that is to be ashamed of God. Because God is the one that gave the gospel. If I'm ashamed of the gospel, then in reality I can be ashamed of God. And so... The Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, verse 1, notice how he begins this. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto who? Unto the gospel of God. What a blessing. <clears throat> it's an absolute blessing. <clears throat> the gospel is good news. It's good news. It's not bad news. Romans chapter 10, have a look. Romans chapter 10, quickly. I have to keep reminding myself, every time I go out, I have to go back, remind myself, hang on a minute, I've got, a good, I've got good news to tell. Good news to tell. Remember that time, Doug, we went out, and all we got is one hit after the other hit. Persecution, people angry. I was like, man, what just happened there? He's never ex kind of experienced that before. And I'm like, yeah, that happens. <laughs> That's normal. And then one time we went out, and it was a good run. I mean, people were taking the tracks. We had good conversations. But for the most part, we understand that people are not going to like this news. But they make us feel like it's bad. But it's not bad. It's good. Have a look at Romans 10, look at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then they sh shall they call on him in whom they do not believe? And how should they believe in him of whom they, do not, uh, they have not heard? And how should they hear without a what? Preacher. And how should they preach except they be sent? Look at this. As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now you understand one thing about feet, they're not beautiful. Let me say this to you. The gospel makes feet beautiful. Yeah. When you carry that gospel, it makes your feet beautiful. When my friend preached the gospel to me, it was a natural reaction without me even knowing this passage of scripture. For me to thank him. I mean, I couldn't, I sat back in my bed after I trusted Christ as my saviour and I remember thanking him and told him, I said, thank you for this message. Now, unknowns to me, this passage, I read it later, I think that's what I did that day. I thanked him. I thanked that preacher for carrying the good news. And that's what happens to a saved person. They're not ashamed of it. They receive it and they're thankful. And you know what happens? For the most part, they want to go and tell people about it. They cannot help it. It's good news. They want to go and tell. It's, it's, it's just like they understand that, that what they've been saved from. They understand that their sin has been forgiven. They understand who uh, has entered into their life, the Holy Spirit of God that has regenerated. They probably don't understand all the details of what's taken place, but they understand something happened that day when they believed the gospel. You know, the gospel of God create, uh, is centered around Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of God. This is why Paul wasn't ashamed, and it was centered around Jesus Christ. Uh, the, diff uh, the works uh, simply gospel undermines that because you've got three 
different gospel that undermines the gospel that is centered around Jesus Christ. And number one, it's the, it's the gospel of works. The gospel of works distorts the cross. I can't labor here too much, but it does. It undermines the finished work of Christ. This is what we call the works gospel. People think they need to add to the finished work of Christ, so it's distorted. It takes away. Jesus said on that cross, it is what? Finish. It's done. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to take away from it. It's perfect. But second of all, another thing that distorts the gospel is the wishy-washy gospel. This is the gospel that almost says, you, know, you just believe in Jesus, you know, and Jesus will save you, and you have a home in heaven, and they don't really talk about sin and repentance and all this. And this is what we call wishy-washy gospel. This is a confusing gospel. And this, is go this gospel is happening today in the charismatic movement. More and more we're seeing people come to the Lord, but their life is not changed. And then we have, of course, the whole gospel. It's what the pure gospel is. The whole gospel, everything. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number uh, 15, please. Have a look what the Bible says there, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 1. And notice what the Bible says there. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So what's that mean? Christ died for our sins. Now, if you're going to labor there, you're going to labor on the fact that you're a sinner. Oh, you can't call me a sinner. Well, Christ died for your sins. Why did Christ die for? He died for your sin. He died for your lies. He died for your deceit. He died for your, uh, you know, um, uh, blasphemy. All these different things that man simply do. Christ died for them. He nailed them on the cross. And so you have to labor on sin. And so therefore you have to call men to repent. Repent. You're a sinners. You are rebellion. You are rebelling against God. Uh, second of all, we see not only this, but he was he he was he died for our sins according to the scriptures. Look at verse four. But he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. We preach the resurrection, and the resurrection has a lot to do with the Holy Spirit of God regenerating a person. You know, we are dead in Christ, but we are made alive in Christ. This is the Holy Spirit's work with regeneration. Of the Spirit of God, not by works of righteousness we have done, but by His mercy He saved us by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit of God raises us up uh, to a new life. And this is, it, we can preach that if someone that is saved is going to exhibit a new life, it's part of the gospel. Uh, this leads me to uh, the next point. Let's go back to Romans chapter 1, look at this, verse 16. The person of the gospel is God. And not only this, but Christ centers around the person of God. <clears throat> it is Christ manifested in the flesh. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, of, uh, of, of the gospel of who? Christ. Okay, so we understand that it's the gospel of Christ, it's the gospel of God, the gospel of God is, is what was delivered to the Apostle Paul and what we preach centers around Christ. That's the person of the gospel. Second of all, but for it is, what's that word? The power of God 
unto salvation. That's the second. So not only we see that the person of the gospel, but now we see the power of the gospel. You know, Rome at the time uh, of Paul was conquering. Mate, Rome was just really taking over. They understood what it meant to be in power. They, uh, Paul understood what it meant uh, that the Romans were conquering and, 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 and they were simply uh, taking full authority. Power is one thing that the Romans simply boasted in. And so, but Paul was simply saying here that there's something more powerful than the Roman government. And that's the gospel. There's something more powerful than sin and death. And that's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, the, the Bible says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which give us the victory through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have the power unto salvation because of the gospel. The gospel is based upon three things. That's why it's got power in it. The gospel has power to save a sinner from sin, death, and hell. And it's based upon three things. Number one, it's based upon the promise of God. Romans chapter 1, look at verses 1 to 3. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It's based upon the promise of God. God promised this. God promised something special. This gospel was promised by God that every single person will be sa should be saved and will be saved only by it. Second of all, it's based upon the pure and precious blood of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Pure and precious Blood of Jesus, First Peter says, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from the vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of lamb without blemish and spot. There's power in the promise of God, listen, and there's power in the blood. There's power in the gospel. The promise of God, God cannot lie. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not hope so, one day we'll see, maybe. No, shall be. That's a promise. God has given us a promise through the gospel that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's based upon the pure, precious blood of Christ, sinless Lamb of God. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But thirdly, it's based upon the power of the Holy Spirit as mentioned. Look at verse 4. And declare to be the Son of God with power, with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. It's based upon the power of the Holy Spirit that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what's going to happen in the last day? He's going to raise you up unto life. That's because of the gospel. The gospel not only has power to forgive your sin, the gospel has power to raise you up on the last day and he's going to dress you with the glorious, a similar body like the glorious body of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the power of the gospel. Has the power to change a person, 
and has the power to keep a person saved, by the way. Have, uh, have a look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. This salvation that we have in Christ is kept. We cannot lose it because there's power in the gospel. God cannot lie. God won't break his promise. The precious blood of, listen, Christ is pure to wash your sin away, your past, your present, and your future sin. But also, not only this, but the power of the Holy Spirit, listen, is the very thing that will keep you unto the day of redemption. But look at verse uh, 3 to 5, 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, look at this, who are kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. See, God has the power to save you, and God has the power to keep you saved. Isn't that a blessing? I don't have to be worried. You know, if you can lose your salvation that God gives you, then it wasn't really from God because God knows how to save and keep. God knows how to just really save someone and keep them saved. Have a look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God had not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? But of what? Power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be a partaker of the affliction of the gospel, according to what? The power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which have given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life, and immortality to light through what? The gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Not ashamed. Because I know who I've believed. And I know that I've committed my very soul in his hand. Listen. And he's able to keep it against that day. What a beautiful thing that is. That's a promise. And it's based upon the power of God. Thirdly, not only the person of the gospel, the power of the gospel, but I want you to see now the people of the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to any or everyone that believes. Now that puts the fire out of Calvinism. That overrides Calvinism. Calvinism, some people believe there are a certain few that God has appointed to be saved and the rest are damned. Over here we see that the power of God and the salvation is to anyone. To anyone. Or to everyone. Okay? Now it also put or overrides universalism salvation. Some people think that John 3.16, that God's going to save the whole world, because God is, gave his only begotten son. But over here it says to everyone that what? Believes. So they must come to a saving not faith of Jesus Christ. 
Just because the atonement on the blood of Jesus Christ is available, it doesn't mean everybody's going to get saved. You must believe it. You must receive it. Uh, for as many as received him, to them gave you what? Power to become the what? The sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. The Apostle Paul talks about, uh, for therefore we are uh, both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is, our, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Or we like gone to all. Uh, we, like sheep gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And we see in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, shall taste death for every man. For every man. Isn't that a blessing? <clears throat> now, let me just finish on the last point here. The person of the gospel is God, giving the Apostle Paul the mandate. It's God that initiated it. And the gospel is centered around Jesus Christ. And then we see the power of the gospel uh, based upon the promise of God and based upon the precious blood of Jesus Christ and based upon the power of the Holy Spirit to keep us saved, the people of the gospel, those that believe on Christ, those that repent and trust Jesus Christ, will have this salvation. Okay, So that's important. And you understand that. There's no salvation outside of Jesus Christ and you repenting and believing on our Lord Jesus Christ. You must come. If you haven't done that, if you're here today and you haven't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I beg you here today, come. Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. There is no other name given among men whereby you and I must be saved. The name Jesus Christ, it's the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh to the Father except but by me. No man. There's only uh, one mediator between God and man. Jesus is the only advocate. He is the propitiation for our sin. But you're not for our sin only, but for the sin of the whole world. But what must you do? You must come and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, my question here today, have you done that? Have you done that? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you repented and turned to God with all your heart? What's the, what's the posture of surrender? When you come and you surrender to God and you say, God, you, 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 naturally, the, if someone says, hey, stick them up, put your hands up, they'll, they'll do this. You'll never ever do this. You'll never do this. But when you come to God, you can't hold anything back. You can't, you can't be half-hearted in receiving Jesus Christ. And you can't hold anything back. You say, well, come to God, but I want to still do this. or still do that. God wants all of you. He wants to save you. He wants you to follow Him. He want, he, you know, God created you for Him. It was God that created you for a purpose. And that purpose is that you would be in a relationship with God the Father. And that relationship was severed by sin. But then God had a plan and purpose from the foundation of the world that sent his sin, his son Jesus to bridge the gap and join you with, the, with God again. It's the only way. God sent his sinless son, Jesus Christ, to save your sin-sick soul. That if you repent and believe on him, you shall be saved. Have you done that? Yeah. And if you haven't done that, I pray that today you do it. Because there's a punishment for sin. 
the wages of sin is death. And it's not only the first death, but it speaks about the second death. The first death is when your body carks it. And by the way, every single person, and if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, every single person will die. It's inevitable. Death is coming and knocking at our door. It's appointed on a man once to die. And after this, the judgment. The second death, that if you fail to receive Christ as your Savior, and you reject the gift of salvation, then you will experience the second death. And death and hell will cast into the lake of fire, for this is the second death. If you reject Jesus Christ, when you stand before God in that judgment day, God will reject you. But if you receive Jesus Christ with all your heart, not by works, but with all your heart, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works. Any mention. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive Christ as your Savior. When you stand before God, God will receive you. If you haven't done that, I plead with you this morning, do it. The reason why the world is in a mess is because of the sin of Adam. The disobedience of one man. Sin entered into the world. And Jesus Christ was the perfect example of what he wanted in a son. Obedient. And so when you get saved, God wants to make you like his son, an obedient child. That's what the whole purpose of conforming you, that you no longer be the first Adam, but rather the first Adam is perishing day by day. And the new Adam, the Holy Spirit of God is renewing you day by day, to be conformed into his image, and that every day, listen brethren, you are learning to obey his word. Jesus Christ did all that which pleased the Father. When Jesus lived his life, God the Father was pleased. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am pleased. When we get saved, we must live lives pleasing to God. And you know how you live your life pleasing to God? You obey his word. And you obey it by faith. When God shows you something, you say, yes, Lord. You, 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 you don't get stubborn. The moment you get stubborn in rejecting the word of God and you resist the word of God is the moment you start backsliding as a Christian. I think one of the, the, the worst things that can ever happen to a Christian is once he's experiencing the backsliding movement. When you're drawing back. Why? Because you're not doing what God has called you to do. Be sensitive to the very words of God. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit that convicts you to obey the principles of this book. God wants to lead you. The Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The Holy Spirit will always lead you to obey the Word of God. He will never lead you to disobey this book. Never. And so we must be sensitive to the very thing of why God wanted to save us is that you and I will be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. God saves us for a purpose. Not to only give us a home in heaven. Salvation encompasses our life here on earth that you and I will be changed into the second Adam, Jesus Christ, and that we would walk in his ways. And by the way, we are hearing about this third Adam that this, this charismatic movement is creating, that if you have this salvation and you can live the way you want, I believe it's from Jude. The creeps creeping in, turning the grace of, grace of God into lasciviousness, 
almost telling you, that's okay, you're saved now, you can, you can live the way you want. You, can, you, you, don't, you, know, you really don't have to do this, you don't really have to do that. Well, that. That doesn't really say that. That's just, no, you don't have to be uh, that much. It's, it's okay, you can tone it down a bit. But we're going to come to the reality of the fourth point, and we're going to look at the preacher of the gospel. Now, a lot of you here today may not be an evangelist, teacher, or preacher, particularly ladies, but every single one of you here today is a witness for the gospel. You believe that? Everybody. Everybody. If you're saved, you ought to be a witness in your right place. You ought to have... This man, I, I, I want you to see his heart. This Apostle Paul, man, he breathed the gospel. I mean, if anything was on his mind, it was the gospel. The gospel. The gospel. That's why he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He was absolutely consumed with the gospel. Don't forget, it's centered around Christ. It's centered around the cross. It wasn't just consumed with the message. Listen, I want you to tell you, he wasn't even consumed with preaching and teaching. The preaching and teaching was the vehicle which brought the gospel to people. He was consumed with the gospel. He was consumed with the person of the gospel. It wasn't the office that he was consumed with. As a matter of fact, he says, I don't even deserve to be an apostle. I'm the least of the apostles. He wasn't even consumed with the preaching, although he knew that the preaching was the vehicle that actually moved the gospel. He was consumed with the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Do you understand what Paul went through because of the gospel? Do you understand what he went through? Because he was consumed with the gospel. All he cared about was the gospel. The God of the gospel, the person of the gospel, the people of the gospel. That's it. He was consumed by it. Every fiber of his mind, body and soul was the gospel of God was the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he knew, listen, what it meant for a dying, lost world. But listen, he also knew what it took to get it out there. Paul had been imprisoned in Philippi for helping a woman that was possessed. What did he do wrong? I just overthrew the business, you know, they were just working this woman with a, a spirit and he cast out the devil from and all of a sudden, instead of being happy, they were sad because they overthrew their business. He, he was chased out of Thessalonica. He was rushed out of Berea. Uh, he was mocked in Athens, treated as a fool in Corinth, stoned in Galatia, persecuted in Jerusalem. I mean, if you trace his life and the encounters that he had, because of who? Paul? No. Because of the gospel. Because he just wanted to get the gospel out there because he understood what it meant for a dying world. He understood what it meant to God. He understood what it meant for Christ. Paul said he did things for the sake of the gospel, for the cause of Christ. Now, that's a worthy cause. I know, listen, Paul the Apostle was a tent maker, but he wasn't consumed with making tents. I guarantee you, he was consumed with the gospel, my friends. Tent making business was just something for him to get by so he can continue sharing the gospel. 
What are you consumed with? What's on your mind? 24-7. There's nothing wrong with work. There's nothing wrong with family. In their right place. As a matter of fact, with your family, you can be witnesses of the gospel. At your work, you can be witnesses to the gospel. The gospel was the very thing that motivated Paul to go out and do what he did. Have a look at the, his account. Have a look at his, his missionary journeys and what he suffered. Uh, he says in verse 15, Romans 1 verse 15, So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I've been to all these other places and I'm ready to come to you. And when he went to Rome, he was imprisoned. And you know what he did in prison? You know what he did at Rome? You know what he testified to the Philippi when he wrote that book from prison? He wrote the book of Philipp the Philippians from uh, Rome, from his imprisonment. He says, I want you to know, don't be worried about me. What's happened to me today here is for the furtherance of the gospel. You think Paul was concerned about what he ate in prison? Whether it was plain food or hospital food? He didn't care. Man, I, when I think about that Roman soldier being chained to him, man, he, would either, he, would, he was probably thinking in his heart and mind, he was probably thinking, okay, tell me more, Paul, if you love the truth. But if he didn't, he probably couldn't wait for the next shift. Get me out of here. Who's taking my place? Because all Paul cared about was telling people about the truth. That's it. He was consumed with it. Listen, that's why he got in trouble a lot. He got in trouble because of the gospel. And by the way, if we get in trouble for anything else outside of the word of God or the gospel, it's not persecution. But if it's because of the, the word of God and the cause of Christ and preaching and contending and trying to persuade and trying to help and rebuking along the way, you see the life of Paul. It was not easy. He suffered Despite the existing political power and the pagan religion that existed at Rome, neither mockery, character assassination, criticism, nor physical persecution could limit his stand for the gospel truth. Nothing could stop him. The grace of God was resting upon him. Do you know and understand what kept Paul going? The very fact that he wasn't ashamed of it. When you're ashamed of someone or something, that's it. When you see, listen to me, what this or the gospel is doing to your life, you're either going to step back and say, I can't handle this anymore, I'm done. When you start living this book, teaching this book, being a witness, those that live godly shall suffer persecution. Not only The gospel encompasses, don't forget, how you live, your testimony by your life, not only by your words. How you confront, preach, contend, all the rest, it encompasses everything. You're either going to say, I can't handle this anymore, I'm done. I, I, this, is, this is bringing me trouble. Or you're going to say, I'm not ashamed of it. I want to keep living it. Am, am I going to be misunderstood? Yeah, absolutely. Jesus was. Paul was. You're going to be misunderstood. Are you going to be persecuted? Absolutely. I mean, we're forewarned that we're going to be persecuted. You shall be. Not maybe, hope so. You will be. Some Christians are never persecuted. You say, Why? Why? Why is it? 
The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter number 4, verse 14 to 16, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory in God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Let, no, let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other man's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Don't be ashamed if you're suffering because you're a Christian. You know what a Christian is? It's a Christ follower. He follows Christ, listen, in every area and every step of his life. And yes, my friend, that includes persecution. It's not only called for us to believe on him, but to suffer for his name's sake. You know, a lot of Christians don't experience this kind of suffering, whether it's emotional or physical, in any facet. You say, why? It could be that they're ashamed of the gospel. It could be. It could be. We understand that it was the preaching and teaching ministry that was the vehicle to carry the, the gospel. The Apostle Paul said, After that which is the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, so it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Apostle Paul says to Titus, In the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Saviour. The Bible in the book of Acts talks about how they used the preaching and teaching ministry to carry the word of God, the gospel. Therefore they went scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. And they, and, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. All the way through, got all these different verses. You trace it, you see it. The preaching and teaching ministry happened out there, carrying the gospel to a dying people. Now in conclusion, by the way, before we close, I want you to see this one verse here. Uh, just a couple of days, it was refreshing uh, to me. I believe it's in First. Uh, Corinthians chapter number 2. Brother William said he went down to Sydney. It was like a little mission strip. Went to his family and visiting people on the way. And, and uh, it was all about just sharing Christ. And I just said, brother, what you're telling me and what you're witnessing to me about sounds like this verse here. And... Uh, in verse, chapter number 2, verse 1, and now he says this, the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testament of God, testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. <laughs> he didn't come with eloquence, he didn't come with what the, you know, these Greeks boasted in, you know, wisdom. He just came with the simple preaching of the gospel. And Christ crucified. 
Oh, what kind of wisdom is that? Yeah, to those that are saved unto life, says, wow. And they keep singing because they understand what the Spirit of God does to their soul. Maybe to those that haven't really truly put their faith in, in Christ and understood what the gospel means to them, perhaps they're looking for some more. They're looking for a deeper thing. I don't know about you, but there's nothing, nothing deeper than this. Keep it simple. We don't have to complicate it. Paul said in his second epistle to the Corinthians that there are some that preach another Jesus spirit gospel and undermine the simplicity that is in Christ. We should never undermine the simplicity that is in Christ. The simple gospel saves. And the preaching of the gospel and the word of God is the very thing that causes people to be like Christ. We want the word of God to affect our lives, that God will continue to have his will and way in us. If all we hear is the word of God, we walk away and we say that was a good message, but it didn't affect our heart, we didn't live it, then it, what for? We want it to do something to our hearts. We want the word of God to affect us. We want it to make change, have it to make change, cause us to continue to live out the will of God in our life. But in closing, the gospel attracts many people. Uh, John 12, 32, Jesus said, If I be lifted up from the earth, will I draw all men unto me? All men, good and bad. Jesus uh, gave a parable about the good fish and the bad fish. Good and bad. Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel regardless of the response he got, whether it was good or bad. He wasn't ashamed of what took place in his life. He just kept going and kept doing what God had called him to do. That's why he said what he said. Remember in the beginning I said, what is the reason why Paul the apostle penned down, penned down these words? Because of the opposition that the gospel brings. Why would he say something like this? And perhaps makes him feel that he's contentious, makes him feel like he's somebody that's always causing trouble because the majority of the world just don't want to hear it and receive the truth of God's word. But I'm not ashamed. Even if it brings trouble to my life, I'm not ashamed of it. Have a look at 2 Timothy. By the way, chapter number 4, this is the Apostle Paul trying to encourage a young preacher, perhaps, pastor, evangelist. He, you know, he calls him, hey, do the work of an evangelist, Timothy. Hey, Timothy, teach this. Hey, Timothy, teach, teach these people there. Let me just say something to you. Even though the Timothy was with Paul, he was timid. And Paul wanted to encourage him time and time and time again. Why was he timid? Why did the Apostle Paul say to him very clearly, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and sound mind? Because when you are busy and consumed with the gospel and everything that it presents, the opposition brings fear. There's always a pushback. Listen, I guarantee you, my friends here today, 
you don't preach or be a witness for the gospel or live the gospel, you'll be at peace with the world. But that's a false peace. Jesus says, woe unto you if all men speak well of you. I mean, we're talking about the gospel here. Not for anything else. Because Jesus understood that it brings a sword. But in deep down, even though he said, I never came to bring peace but a sword, he still brings peace in the life of a Christian that is doing his will in the midst of opposition. Have a look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Now this is interesting. Because at times you see even Jesus and Stephen persecuted. They're on the cross and you hear, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. Listen, brethren, there are people out there that are ignorant and following the trend of the culture. Crucify him, crucify him. The same people perhaps that were saying, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest, were probably taken over here and saying, now crucify him, crucify him. Father, forgive them. What, do they even know what they're saying? Do they even know what they're doing? Well, the centurion got it. Right at the end, he said, indeed, this is the son of the living God. He got it. There are people that are ignorant. They just say things and do things. They don't really know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Lay this not on their charge. But there are others that are purposely enemies of the cross trying to oppose. And what simply Paul is saying here, Lord, reward him according to his works. Let him reap what he sows. Other times, Lord, don't lay this on their charge. Have a look, we'll keep reading. Of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly, look at this, withstood our words. Greatly withstood. Can you imagine this picture? Can you imagine this picture? I don't want to get into it. But verse 16, at my first answer, look at this. No man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I just, I mean, if you dig into this situation and know what took place, you can really understand the vivid description of what was taking place here. I pray God that it may not be laid to who? Their charge. Who are there? Not Alexander. Those that fled. You see the contrast? That's the reality. When we go out there and you understand when you're on the forefront, you go out there, you understand there are people that are opposing and there are people that are just timid, fearful, scared. I'm not going to put them on. I'm not going to. No, but I'm going to oppose him. Well, the first time I spoke, he withstood our words. What's he trying to do? He's trying to deceive them. God, Jesus Christ in the flesh, de dealt with deceivers. Paul dealt with deceivers. There's nothing wrong with dealing with deceivers. I think the most fierce times that we have on the street are those that come and they're trying to deceive the little souls. And when I see people trying to deceive people, I rebuke them. Because that precious soul, their soul hangs in the balance between heaven and hell. My reputation is on the line because perhaps someone may see me. No, but that soul, they're going to walk away and understand what just happened there. It's happened for that person's soul so they're not deceived. Why do you think Jesus rebuked the Pharisees time and time again? 
so that they would not deceive those people that will make a person two times child of hell. Expose them. But the Apostle Paul, there was his ministry. And he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. It's what kept him, kept him going. But I want you to know this. Look at verse 17. Look at this. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Does that mean Paul the Apostle wasn't going to get his head chopped off? No, he was. But not yet. <laughs> he said, my departure is at hand. Timothy, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my course. But God is going to deliver me from every evil work until that day comes. Well, I've finished everything that God has called me to do here. I don't mind dying. I don't. But I do mind if I die a pure, premature death and I haven't finished what God has called me to do here on earth. That I don't want to happen. But if I have finished what God has called me to do, and it doesn't mean that I've got to live a long life, as long as I just have, God has, I've done what God has called me to do, Lord, you want me to take me home, and to be with you is far better. That's what the Apostle Paul said, right? For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But he goes on to say, I'm struggling. To be with Christ is far better. I'm straight betwixt the two, because I know what God has called me to do while I live. And while I live, I'm called to serve you. Wow. What a blessing. What a life. What drove him? Not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed because it's given by God and it's centered around Christ as the power to save and is good for you. And I'm going to preach it. I'm the preacher of the gospel and I'm not ashamed of it. We ought not to be ashamed of it. We have to love it, live it and share it. Amen? Let's pray.